Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Wilson Batista Jr., and you're on DevSec Lead. I've got a special guest here, Chris Cochran. And Chris, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, especially you're, you're a podcast host yourself. Where are you located? What's the name of your podcast? Yeah, no, uh, thanks for having me on the show, Wilson. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's good to collaborate with other podcasters. Uh, our podcast is called uh, Hacker Valley Studio. Uh, what we do is uh, we bring folks on, we talk about, you know, cybersecurity, we talk about their functions that they're experts in, but we also talk about the people behind all the tech, behind all the processes and the technology, and, you know, really get to know the personas in cybersecurity. Uh, we've been doing it since about February, um, since I moved out here to, to the San Jose area. I came out here because I uh, work at Netflix. And uh, I moved in with a buddy of mine, uh, Ronald Eddings, and he had a, a whole setup for a podcast. So oh, he's nice. using it. Yeah, he's using it for uh, daily tech videos. He's doing walkthroughs and things like that. And then one day we just hopped on the mics and started talking. And, and lo and behold, we, we started a podcast. And we've had great guests on. We've been able to travel a bit with the podcast. And it, it just couldn't have turned out any better so far. Okay, cool. And that's available to everybody uh, so everybody can listen? Yeah, we're on uh, YouTube. We do uh, have a video component to most of our episodes. Uh, we're also on Spotify. Uh, we're on uh, Apple Podcasts and then also Google Play as well. Okay, awesome, awesome. So, you know, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and just noticing it said that you were a Purple Team Lead. And for those of us that you know, that are new to the game. People just know blue team and red team. What what in the world is a purple team? Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, so you, you know you have a blue team. This is the defense side. This is the side that protects our organizations. And then you have the red side. The red side is adversarial emulation or engineering. These are the folks that are going to pretend to be the adversary on our mm -hmm. networks. And I really don't get wrapped around the, the actual definitions, but from my perspective, when you combine blue and red activities together, you get something that's purple. And so uh, I created, uh, uh, with the help of a bunch of folks at Netflix, uh, this initiative to actually fuse the two together. Uh, it's a reservist model, so everyone uh, that uh, participates is uh, doing this part-time. So they have a full-time job during the day, and whenever we do these uh, engagements, they are actually taking themselves out of their job role in order to combat uh, a specific problem for a short amount of time. And uh, we just finished our first engagement uh, uh, later last uh, quarter, and it, it really went better than expected. It was a really enjoyable uh, event. So I guess let me just try to understand with, with the Purple Team, you, you take people that are in full-time roles and then they come out of them to kind of test test defenses uh, on the mm -hmm. network. Um, are you concerned about any kind of uh, you know operation because that person's now not on the operational side looking at the monitoring? You're, are you testing the uh, the younger folks to make sure that they're they're on their game? Right. No, that's a good point. Uh, we actually uh, whittled it down so that every person only spends about 16 hours per quarter doing this. 
So if you think about it, it's not a huge chunk of time. Uh, I have about 35 or so volunteers that help. Mm -hmm. And so we, we try to, you know, shift people in and out as they run out of time, just so I'm not stealing, you know, valuable resources from the day to day. Uh, but we're able to, you know, create an impact. Maybe one day we'll be able to, you know, have the justification to have a full-time team doing, you know, this sort of work. Uh, but until that point, yep, it's just part-time, uh, as minimal of a time, uh, you know, requirement as, as we can get. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. The, um, you know, I was working with the National Guard for a while and they do these kind of exercises where they, they try to train um, their blue teams, the state blue teams, uh, with red teams from different services to, to make sure that they're ready and uh, getting mm -hmm. this. And a lot of what uh, they do during these exercises is they use a lot of scenario-based stuff so if you're doing this every quarter are you planning your um, are you planning all of these scenarios uh, uh well in advance to make sure that you know uh, some kind of semblance of a storyline is being presented well yeah the goal is to really match uh all the engagements that we do with our risk priorities mm -hmm. um as that sort of team develops and they start to really solidify what those priorities are we're trying to be lock and step with everything that they're looking at. Uh, but as of right now, the first time we did it was sort of a trial. Uh, I think I'm on paternity leave right now. I actually won't be back until next year. But I think when we get back, we're going to really look at how the rhythm is going to play out going forward, really making sure that we're on the same page with leadership and with our risk folks as well, and just take it from there. No, that's really exciting, really exciting. So, um are you are you guys like the 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 leaders in this space, or do you see a lot of other organizations trying to adopt this? Is this something that's still new? Right. No, I, I think there are definitely other organizations that are stronger in certain areas. So, for instance, we don't have a dedicated uh, red team, mm -hmm. uh, but we do have people that have red team expertise, and so they're not able to spend all of their time like doing the red team stuff. So there are definitely other folks out there that are doing similar things. They might call it something different. Uh, but I, I would say that we are trying this model to see if it works. And then maybe if it works, uh, spread it out and have other people try it out. Uh, I, I did give a talk at uh, the Sands Threat Hunting Summit, and that's my entire talk was about this purple team construct, uh, construct and using unstructured play to actually improve security posture and also uh, increase job satisfaction uh, for folks. Unstructured play, that's uh, that's kind of, that can be dangerous if you just let people just play. No, nah, not really. If you have responsible folks that know what they're doing and they know the parameters of, of what, you know, what, what would put uh, organization in trouble and, and what would be uh, safe in the realm of testing and, and, and things like that. So if you have folks that you really depend on and trust from a technical perspective and they know the ramifications and they can, you know, have this ability to be creative and look at different problem sets from different uh, angles, I think you get, you know, valuable insight. No, no, you're, you're absolutely right. So you're a threat intelligence leader in Netflix, you have a podcast, and you're, you know, you're you're doing threat intelligence. How how did you get to do that? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I started my career in the, in the Marine Corps, you know, much like yeah. yourself, uh, <laughs> focused on, you know, your traditional marine intelligence. And I got the opportunity to pivot into digital networks intelligence. And that, that was a little bit more technical. I, I've always had a, a desire to do things with computers and technology. And this was just a, a perfect opportunity to do that. Uh, after my stint in the Marine Corps, I went to United States Cyber Command doing all source intelligence. And that's really when I started doing, quote unquote, threat intelligence, because, you know, the, all the problems that we were looking at from a government's perspective, people were looking at the same thing in the commercial realm. And so that's when I realized that, you know, there's something here that I can do in the commercial space. And so I started my own company. I ran it for a couple years. And that's when I really got in touch with commercial cybersecurity. I, I found out about the tools, the processes, what roles look like, what certain you know, organizational structures look like. Um, it, it, that was probably one of the best decisions of my life is to step out on my own and see what <clears throat> the commercial space looked like. And you're a SANS instructor, is that correct? No, not quite. I am on the steering committee for uh, the SANS summits, and we also are, we are sort of the pseudo SANS uh, podcast arm. Just uh, this, this is rarely uh, a pretty new. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we we've been going to different summits and interviewing some of the the key key folks and stuff like that. <clears throat> but I was uh, a SANS hosted instructor uh, for a little while. I taught the uh, physical pen testing mm -hmm. course. Uh, with the core group and so we did do some sam summits but i'm not a, a an official okay yeah, yeah 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 I, that, that, that. <laughs> so i was looking at your picture and i was like man you look real young in that picture i don't know if you see that the sans picture on the sand site oh okay yeah probably i haven't looked at it in a long time yeah you look like a young young breed <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> I was cracking up. I'm like, oh man, you better tell him to fix that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I haven't. I, I forgot I was there. <laughs> so, so a threat intelligence leader. What what are some of the characteristics that make up a a, a leader in in this discipline? To be honest, I think one of the best gifts that you can have as a threat intelligence leader, or even a, a high level practitioner, is your ability to connect with other folks because in, in my opinion i think you're as good as your network mm -hmm. because you can't look at everything even if you have the best rss feeds if even if you have the best you know alert logic for open source stuff or you know you have the best tools i feel like you will get sometimes you'll get better intelligence from the people that you know than the 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 stuff that you buy so a lot of the the you know, tippers that I get are from people that I know. And so, you know, having that ability and, and also returning the favor when you see intelligence that you know is going to help another organization, giving to them. And I, I think that is one of the most unsung skills of a threat intel person. So, you know, developing that, that ability to talk to people externally, but even internally, because I, I, I you know, I foot stomp at this all the time, is that threat intelligence is a customer centric service it is all about the stakeholders all about the people that you're supporting and so you know having that interpersonal relationship is is paramount yeah no no i think that networking and having those connections those informal communications are very important um having that network to support and be able to pass information you know how it is in the the, the lance corporal underground 
Right. <laughs> Things, <laughs> Absolutely. you know, the grapevine, everything moves a little bit quicker than, uh, mm-hmm. than from official cha- um, channels. So if you want to be in the know, then you need to, you need to be connected, so to speak. Yep. And that, Absolutely. that has to be with, you know, having a personality, being personal, being a good person. I think that's, uh, that yep. those are some of the characteristics that make, you know, good, good people and good leaders. I agree. So speaking of that, and we're talking about, you know, the different people that can give you information. Um, a lot of folks have all of these open threat intelligence feeds all over the place and they have so many mm-hmm. different sources of information. It's, it's difficult. It is difficult to, uh, to put all of this into a picture. Um, especially if you're, if, if it's not your, not your gig, right. Um, you're talking about like small, medium businesses that don't have the luxury of, you know, getting a a young person that has the Intel job description, um, into their, into their company. So they're getting all these Intel feeds, but they just don't know what the, what in the world to do with them. So where, where do we start? Yeah. So the thing I like to start with is looking at it from a vertical perspective. So who else is in your your sphere of operation? So if you're an aerospace company, are you are you talking to other aerospace companies? What are they using? Uh, do they belong to an ISAC? Um, what are you know some of the best cases uh, they've had in the past? I think that's really, really important. And then once you sort of see what they're using and you can sort of dip and dabble and you can even go beyond that and, and get some extra sources as well, find a way to validate the the value of the threat feed. And if, if it's not giving you value, then, you know, just go ahead and, and do away with it. You know, and I, I don't think every threat feed is for everybody, but I do think there are threat feeds out there for most organizations. So yeah, just, you know, have a way to validate that you're getting value from those threat feeds and, you know, the ones that are, you know, providing value, keep them. And the ones that, that don't, don't, don't worry about them. All right, great. So let's talk about leadership. Now, you've been in the Marine Corps. Um, we've been taught a lot of things about leadership, different characteristics, honor, courage, commitment, our core values. And now that you've been out for a while, um, has that has that le- um, that sense of leadership or that definition of leadership changed? You know, not really. Uh, I think you know the stuff that I've learned in the Marine Corps and the leaders I've seen when I when I was in. They still resonate with me today. It's it's not that I, I come out here to Silicon Valley and you know I'm like oh man you know these leaders out here are just you know so much better than the leaders I had in the Marine Corps. I, I really think being in the Marine Corps and some of the, the skills and, and the culture that was instilled in us in the Corps permeates, you know, you know, in other areas outside of the Marine Corps. I mean, right before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, seeing Marines like do really well in other facets of, of the workforce. And I, I think that's an amazing thing because I, in my opinion, I think we're just a, a different breed, a breed of person. And I, I'd like to see that continue. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're it's almost a Marine it Corps is. birthday, right? So it's mm-hmm. almost November tenth, right? So I got to ask this question: Did you go? Did you go to San Diego or did Paris you go to Island. Paris Island? All right. Okay. So we're still <laughs> friends, and we're not going to cut this recording short. We have land in the sand, fleas. <laughs> All right. Uh, what uh, battalion? Battalion. 
Oh, you're you're. Oh, you're my really? Best first Italian. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, first battalion Bravo cool. company, platoon ten twenty six. Yeah. Uh, we were ten ninety two. So, yeah. Oh man, oh man. So yeah, so it's it's interesting that we we were born in the same place, went on the same yellow footprints. The Marine Corps is uh, uh, kind of instilled in us a sense of leadership and duty. Um, I, I have also felt that, um, you know, that the, the lessons that I've learned throughout my military career has really um, helped me. I think that, um, well, maybe, maybe uh, you, you could attest to this. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people look at uh, military folks and they, they think Marines, they think Full Metal Jacket. Have you ever had that oh, happen Oh, yeah, absolutely. You? I mean, you... <laughs> People were like, "Wow, you're you're you were in the Marine Corps? Like, well, what is that supposed to mean? Like, oh, you're too smart to be in Marine Corps. Like, I think you know Marines are some of the smartest folks you, you can get. Sure, there are a couple of bad apples out there, but uh, most of the Marines I've know in some way or another were really intelligent. Yeah, yeah, I get I get a lot of um, oh, are you going to yell at me like that drill <laughs> drill instructor? And I'm like, no, man, we're really right. not like that. That's that's not lead, that's no. not leadership. I mean, maybe that's like yeah. at boot camp. But that's but training, that's, right? But it's yep. yeah, that's training, and yeah. So this is where I would probably edit because I'm looking, yeah, kind no, of looking down at my notes. So when we talk about leadership. And we talk about you know people that you look up to. Who are who are some of the uh, who are some of the leaders that you look up to and why? Yeah, so some of the leaders I look up to uh, from a personal perspective, I really look up to uh, folks like General Alexander. Uh, I got to work with him uh, while I was at his startup Ironet for a while, and he is somebody that really embodies you know expertise along with you know sort of like being a little relaxed. Uh, he's the first person to kind of come in and, and cut up and, and tell jokes. And I actually taught him how to pick locks and uh, I taught him how to, you know, break out of handcuffs because I, obviously I, I taught the um, the physical pen testing course. Uh, but he, he was just so fun. Uh, but when he put that hat on that, you know, he was about to say something impactful, you you took notice. You, 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 you were quiet, you were listening, you were laser focused on everything he was saying. Uh, but he could dip in in and out of those modes, and I, I really took that to heart. Um, but another one uh, is one of my favorites is uh, Barack Obama. I, I feel like maybe mm -hmm. if I had a hundred years worth of speaker training, I, I'd be able to be like a Barack Obama up on on stage. But just uh, his ability to communicate with folks, his ability to to move a crowd, uh, is something that you know I'll, I'll never forget. And just some of the stances he he took with with folks. Um, just different populations of people I, I really admired. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are two of the, the main folks that, that I think about when I think of leadership. So when you when you talked about General Alexander and you said uh, when mm -hmm. he switched modes, how how did you know? Yeah, it's just a feeling. It, you know, it, it's I, I don't know if it just comes from years of being a leader and being around amongst other leaders, but it's just a change in his voice. It's a change of his energy. It's just all all these things wrapped up into once. Once he switches that mode, everyone's listening. I mean, he could go from you know chatting and talking and laughing with everybody, and everyone's having their own conversations. But when he started to say something, everybody took notice. No, that's uh, that's incredible. Um, 
I would love to see the like the presence, the leadership presence that you know you just explained. I've only seen it in a, in a handful of places. I, I agree with that. There's um, not many, uh, you know, because when you ask the question, like you know, who are some of the leaders? I'm like, oh my gosh, who who are some of the leaders? Uh, because I, I I'm really picky when it comes to leadership. I'm pretty picky because uh, I, I spend so much time studying it and trying to like hone that tradecraft myself that I, I think you know really truly amazing leaders. Um, are, are rare, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I think that we're all trying to, to improve. Everybody that's listening to the show is, you know, really trying right. to improve. Um, what, what are some of the things that you're looking at um, in improving personally and from maybe from a leadership right. standpoint? Uh, I think the main thing is, you know, getting off my, my own ego, you know, just really focusing on, on the folks that, that you're leading, you know, setting them up for success, you know, putting all the shine onto them. I, like whenever I have a team and we do something amazing, the team did something amazing. It's not something that I did. Uh, so I, I really try to, to give shine to other folks. Uh, if, if you've seen, I, I do like a follow Friday on LinkedIn every Friday. And mm-hmm. I, I really try to put shine on other people that are doing great work. And I, I think that's one of the greatest shows of leadership is is not only, you know, showing other people that, that they're important, but also highlighting it to other people. And then also having empathy, like understanding uh, the human condition, understanding that humans are different and have different goals and desires and motivations and, and really trying to learn uh, about those people and the, their, their dynamics, I think is key for building a great uh, team. Awesome. No, thank you. So last question, if uh, there's 30, 45 seconds for you to, you know, give your best advice to our audience, what would it be? I would say get into mentorship, whether it's on an individual one-to-one level, you know, bringing, you know, people onto the phone, into your house, into the office and having discussions about where they want to go in the future. Uh, I think it is really important. But if you don't have the time and you can't scale like one-on-one stuff, you know, start putting things out into the community. Start writing blogs, you know, write a book, you know, start a podcast, really get your voice out there because there are people that are looking for voices. They're looking for guiding lights to get to where they want to be. And I think if you, if more examples of folks are out there, the more uh, I think everyone's going to benefit. And so when Ron and I started the podcast, we started seeing people that were listening to our podcast, like say, you know, maybe I need to start a podcast because if these two guys can do it, I can definitely do it. And, and I, I love that. <laughs> I love that, you know, I don't have, I'm not a competitor with other podcasts. I'm not a competitor with your podcast. I want everybody to feel like they have a, a place to, to have a voice and to help other people. And I think that's what it's all about. Yeah. I, I, you know, I was watching one of the episodes that she put put up there, and um, the title of the, the podcast was "What Legacy Do You Want to Leave?" Ah, that was a good one. And uh, yeah, I think that you just uh, you just kind of said it. Awesome, I appreciate that. That's a yeah, no, awesome. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for your time, and I hope to have you back on the show again. Absolutely, it was great. Wilson. Anytime, and we have to have you on ours. All right, brother. Sounds we'll good. talk to you later.
Hey folks, I just wanted to let you know that I appreciate you and thanks for sticking around to the end of the show. If you like the podcast, please spread the word. Looking for new people to interview. I've got some awesome stuff here for 2020. It can only get better from here. Looking forward to speaking to you all again soon. Bye for now. Thank you.